In this episode, I'm joined by Jane Pike to help me answer a student's question about anxiety versus excitement. Jane will share a bit of her own personal journey and we'll talk about how relaxation, excitement, anxiety all relate and the importance of creativity. So here we go, episode 177, Excitement, Anxiety, and so much more with Jane Pike. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Now, I have to admit, after meeting Jane and hearing her speak in person uh, in the past year, I've been looking for a reason to connect with her and have her on the podcast. When a student sent in a question recently about anxiety and excitement and how they relate, I thought this would be a really great reason. And I'm so happy she said yes. So Jane Pike is a coach, writer, poet, and horsewoman from the South Island of New Zealand. In the horse world, her work focuses on practices and understandings that increase vitality for both humans and horses, incorporating nervous system awareness to both mindset and movement. And the methods she teaches explore physical and emotional patterns at their most foundational level, the brain and the nervous system, with the aim of creating adaptability and responsiveness both in and out of the saddle. Now, Jane is uh, featured and written for various magazines around the world and is a sought-after international clinician and trainer through her business, Confident Rider. Now, her background includes being a U.S. and New Zealand board-approved coach, a registered NLP coach and practitioner, yoga therapist, trauma-informed movement coach, certified master of hypnotherapy, certified equine-assisted learning facilitator, facilitator, and she's currently a student and apprentice of the Fajardo uh, method of holistic biomechanics. Now, Jane's passions and expertise also extend to how we can live best, you know, full and creative lives and develop the tenacity and courage to do so. Her deep appreciation for writing and art has also seen her skip down the garden path of how it is we can all find and allow our own unique creative expression. Sharing her own writing and teaching retreats and workshops that focus on giving ourselves permission to and making the time for the for following things that we love. So you can find her at uh, confidentwriter.online or follow her poetry and writing at janepike.substack.com. Com. All right, let's get into the conversation. Jane, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. I've been excited all day. <laughs> oh, yay, me too. And uh, I think we should both, you know, be pretty proud of ourselves. I think to find a time that works between where I am and where you are is sort of a small miracle in and of itself. So this is a great time for me, and uh, yeah, I hope it's a good time for you. It's not. It's it not is. the middle of the night in in 
in either place. <laughs> no, it's, it's a small miracle. <laughs> All right. Well, I am. Um, I have to say, so this uh, someone sent in a question, and we will we will get to the question in a little bit. But I have to admit that I I've been looking for a really good excuse to have you on the podcast and spend some more time with you. Um, we got to meet, you know, at Warwick Schiller's summits twice. You know, once in Texas yeah. and once uh, down in Melbourne. And uh, so when this question came up, I'm like, oh, ooh, here's a perfectly good excuse, because I think this is going to be right up your alley. Um, and it's about uh, anxiety versus excitement. Um, but before we dive into the question, I just, <clears throat> you know, you have uh, the fabric of who you are and what you do is sort of made up of lots of different threads. So just, you know, knowing you and reading about what you've done, um, NLP coach and practitioner, yoga therapist, um, trauma-informed movement coach, hypnotherapy, equine-assisted facilitator. Um, I was reading, your, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, a Fajardo yeah, method. Yeah, Fajardo method of holistic biomechanics. It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, once you know how to like <laughs> read things and spell them. <laughs> um, so that was really interesting, combining biomechanics and wellness. And then um, also your, your creative side, which I think is I'm sure you've always been that way, but it seems like you're embracing that more and more and connecting creativity and wellness and horsemanship. So that is just like this beautiful uh, mosaic tapestry or whatever you want the analogy to be. But yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear just a little bit of your story of, you know, how, how did, how, how did this weave together? Like, what's the story? Oh my goodness. It is, it's like a galaxy of like disparate parts that only have recently made sense to me. Um, and it's definitely been an adventure. I think in the beginning, um, I've always had horses. So horses have always been central to my life. And I was really fortunate that my mum rode. Um, so she had a Arab cross something, goodness knows what else, um, <laughs> since he was two. And I think he was 43 when he passed away in her paddock. So she had him for a really, really long time. Yeah. And he was a big feature of my childhood. So um, we always lived relatively rurally. I grew up in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales in Australia. And then we moved to Tasmania over my high school years. So we had lots of country to like ride through and around and over. Um, and then I got into, in quite serious fashion, um, which I laugh because it's so far removed from my world now, but the showing world um, and was, you know, I really enjoyed that as a teenager and through my uh, very early 20s and we started breeding horses and, um, you know, in the beginning I took this incredibly feral, like little bush pony um, to all the shows and thought I was just the bee's knees, like competing with the the plats and the stuff. And I just had no idea, which when I look back is so, the innocence of that is so beautiful. Um, even if I curl my toes slightly retrospectively at the, the audacity of little Jane to like ride into the ring. <laughs> um, but it kind of built from there. And, and I guess the, there's lots of parallel threads um, that weave into the story in that my family, certain, uh, certain people it sounds really just to sort of protect identities there were people in my family that struggled really seriously with mental health issues um mm -hmm. and that was always a a big part of my childhood kind of dealing with that and finding a way through that and um dealing with the uh, the repercussions that that had on my well-being um mm -hmm. and so a part of my interest in 
mental health, I guess, and psychology and the nervous system, even though I didn't understand it of that was as that was a, I wanted to fix the person that I loved. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to help them be better. And I also was concerned about how it was I could better handle myself, I guess, in all of the different life situations, but also as far as competition went, like I was a very, um, you know, I had a lot of competition anxiety before I went in. So I had, you know, the Jane Savoy books on my bedside table mm. and I was recently at Barb Schulte's house and we were discussing Jane and I said, oh, she was one of the early people, you know, that I read that had a really big impact on my thought process around um, horses and, and mental strength and all of those conversations. Um, and then it kind of, it's been a really long winding road of just being so interested in overall well-being, um, how it is we live really full and happy lives and how we bring that to our horses um, and lots of adventures in between. I worked as an aid relief worker and I've been traveling all over in my twenties and it kind of just, it's, it's all of these interwoven threads that, like I said, only really make sense to me retrospectively, um, mm -hmm. but have taken me to where I am now. And, and each of those little markers along the way has been like, oh, but what about this? Or there's sort of a limitation as far as I can take that. And then that's led me down a rabbit hole. And I've just consistently followed my curiosities to lead me to where I am now. That's so cool. Sense? Yeah. <laughs> if it makes sense to you, it'll... <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure it does, but yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you feel like it's that you are going in a direction and sort of accumulating, or do you feel like you did this and then that switched and it was like a fork and now you're doing this? Or do you feel like it's all, I mean, it seems to me the things that you listed there anyway, feel like they layer and sort of inform each other, but do you feel like you're using all of them or do you feel like they were like stepping stones along the way? And I so I think on a, on a macro mm -hmm. level, they all definitely were relate together and that it's been this beautiful con con continuity of forces that have led me to to the place that I am now but there's definitely been things that have dropped away um, on that journey so you know part of the the road in for me was um, somatic exploration like through yoga through uh, you know, movement for trauma and all different types of understandings of how our body expresses our experience and there's aspects of that which I carry with me and aspects of that which I've let go of. Um, and in the letting go, I've taken on something else. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess the beautiful part of teaching, which I'm sure you experience as well, is that you are constantly exposed and um, have the honour of working with a variety of different people from a variety of different circumstances and situations. And some tools and skills are super effective with a certain type of person or where a certain person's at and then you reach a limitation and that limitation was never very satisfying to me I'm like okay well how do how do we get beyond that and so it created a another leapfrog effect to something different that um was a desire to sort of help more and bigger <laughs> um, yeah I, I I love that and I think it's um it can really help because I think a lot of times I've seen with students and, and I've fallen into this trap of like, okay, here's the thing and it works. And if I just learn it better, if I'm just better, then it's going to work. And I think the more reality is these are all things that can serve us and we're all so unique. And it's like, well, what do I want to do? And what are the tools that I need? And, and, you know, it, 
I think this, I love the following, you know, it's like I do this for a while and then I need more or something different. And mm -hmm. I think that's a really helpful thing for people to hear um, that it can help in all sorts of aspects of life, you know, being a student Absolutely. of the horse or, mm -hmm. you know, just a student of life. <laughs> and it's really taught me not to plant my flag in the sand anything too strongly like mm -hmm. I absolutely have principles and values and beliefs that I live and, and work to um, that are fundamental to how I choose to operate in the world but as far as information goes we don't know everything you know and we can't mm -hmm. know everything and that's actually a really beautiful thing so I'm so open to hearing other people's experiences and and to learn from the knowledge that they bring to the table and then to consider it to be a situation where we're all adventuring together and here's the pool of information that's available and let's see what works. And, and then if something is disproved to me, I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. All right, let's try something else. But I, mm -hmm. I really am not interested in fixed views because any fixed views I've held in the past have dissolved over time um, with more information and more knowledge and um, someone perhaps illuminating a different way to me. So mm -hmm you have to hold space for the mystery and the magic and the possibility of change. And also the understanding that as humans, you know, we know actually so little about the brain and body. We're really only just getting started. Um, and so what is available right now is what is, is available now, but it's not the end of the story yeah. by any stretch. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think you know everything, just wait, you'll meet a horse. Yes. <laughs> then we'll show you <laughs> that you don't. So annoying. <laughs> In amazingly specific ways sometimes. <laughs> Uh, so yeah so it's really it's really a very creative process so you know like I said you've probably been creative all along but um it it feels like you're I don't know is embracing it more or maybe just sharing it a little bit more outwardly yeah. can you talk a little bit about the um creativity yeah, well-being and I think that it's um the capacity and desire to live a creative life has always been really strong in me and I've seen, um, well, I really believe that the unexpressed creativity manifests in ways that aren't useful to the human body, meaning that it's, it's energy that goes somewhere. And Elizabeth Gilbert described her creative energy as a border collie, that if, you're, it's, if it's not exercised and given things to play with, then it will start chewing the couch or will destroy everyone's shoes or like things happen, which you, know, you don't want to happen because that energy mutates into a form that's not useful. And I believe all humans are creative. We, we may not identify with that um, because we've been talked out of the label for some reason. Um, but for me, writing and um, art and drawing are ways that I make sense of my experience. And they're also ways that I allow myself to be connected to something bigger than myself. Um, so at the moment, I'm really interested in exploring ecology and, um, you know, my writing is very much a reflection of, my inspiration that I gain from nature. Um, so like the non-human and plants and animals and uh, that journey of understanding more about my place here and my direct relationship with what is around me uh, filters through to my relationship with my horse. I mean, how can it not? That's sort yeah. of what they're experiencing all of the time. And then as well, the creative process, the actual process itself gets me to 
wiggle the edges of tendencies that I have that can get in my way in other areas like my perfectionist tendencies or my desire to control things or I need to have things look a certain way when they come out and it just doesn't work that way in writing or, or creativity and so you get to play with those threads in a situation that is you know nobody's going to die with the drawing that you put on the page and nobody's going to be harmed if the words come out and they're kind of crappy so it's um it's a way to to just get over yourself um and let yourself play and and those are hugely helpful lessons um, for everything <laughs> it's funny when you're saying you know the need to make it perfect or have it control i mean that's something with horsemanship you know that i see all the time and that's you know, one of the things I focus up on with I do is giving people the freedom to experiment and, yeah. you know, that, that there actually needs to be creativity in each moment. I guess we can figure out what creativity means, but, you know, you're responding to a unique situation and a unique moment. And so there's mm -hmm. never been another moment like that. So mm -hmm. anytime we do anything, we're creating. And, and I think that ability to play with things is so important for horsemanship. And, and I just, you know, what if scribbling on a page could help, help the habits that then will help you play more freely with your horse? Yeah, I like no one's going to get killed. So, yeah, exactly. you know, practice and, and also it. Beyond that, it's like, <laughs> you know, when you said to me, what, when you just mentioned then what is creativity and I'd, I've never really defined that for myself, but I guess it's the tangible expression of life force. That's how I see it. Like the, mm -hmm. the movement of an energy through you and that gets to play in a variety of different arenas. So it can play out in your horsemanship work. It can play out in your work work. It can play out in the desire like I have at the moment to draw flowers and teach myself how to be more of a botanical artist. And the thing about it is sometimes the creative expression leads to a quantifiable productive purpose as defined by our society. Like it might lead to money or it might lead you to be a better horse person. And sometimes it's just for the sake of it. And what more productive purpose of your time than to experience joy for the sake of it. Um, and yet as adults, we talk ourselves out of that all of the time. Um, so it's that's very much for me just this year's partial experiment is just allowing myself to follow the glimmerings for the, for no other reason than they're there in front of me for the taking and I'll just see what happens with it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I love your writing, so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, one person reads it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yay! I think a lot more than, than just me. Yeah, it's it's a um we just started doing uh some art nights where I think we're going to do like once a month just invite some friends over and we just spread paper out over our kitchen table and we just have paints and paper and stuff and we all just sat around like six of us and we just did did art and we all took home something and yeah, it was like it, it it's been a long time since I did something like that just, you know, art for the art's sake just to uh -huh. be and create and talk and it nothing matters yeah i love i was reading recently um i was putting together a workshop called coming to your senses and they were talking about in my research i was learning about the difference between writing and other forms of creative expression like art and the thing about drawing or artistic expression as far as paint and color and drawing on the page goes 
is that the sense is intrinsic to the creation of the object. And so you don't have to go through a thought process so much uh, like you do with words where you're actually interpreting a sense that's sort of a secondary experience of the perception. And so, and that's definitely been my experience with drawing and art because up until recently, I've just, I think it's been true. I've told myself I'm not a very good artist, um, but I've told myself that and that desire or that inability to transfer what was initially in my head onto a page stopped Mm. me doing it, um, which is, again, that perfectionist pattern and something that I think as adults we have this expectation that we should do it once and it should look like the Mona Lisa or something like that. But um, for some reason that's fallen away and I think it's actually a product of all of the other things I've been doing. And I've been so enjoying it and it is a really, um, in the best possible way, a thoughtless process, like the sense of it is actually the purpose and, and I do really love that. Nice. Nice. Very interesting. Yeah, I um my uh my, the the career path I was on before people kept paying me to do horses was a, a scientific illustrator. Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it kind of it, that was it it was artistic but it satisfied my my precise brain too, right? Cuz yeah. It has to be precise. But yeah. um yeah. And now I've now um, the other the other kind of sorry again. No, I talked over you. There was a slight delay. Oh yeah, no. And then the other kind of drawing that I really like is just the real gestural. You know, just can I in that amount of time like put the gesture on the page? This is super fun. Yeah. Without it having to be anything. Uh (laughs) This is a slight tangent, but I've. I think we're probably here for it, which is um, what, what I had this experience a couple of a few weeks ago where um, it just really hit me that as far as like lineage goes and ancestry goes, that there's so many, if not all the women in my line, um, I'm the first one that's really had my own business and made my own money and had the chance to be autonomous in the world in the way that I am now. And I know with, without knowing specifically, because there's not a lot of information I have on my family line, that there was a, a, a lot of artistic tendency or artistic potential. Um, my grandma was a, an artist on, she used to paint China, which I think was probably an appropriate painting for someone of, you know, to do at that time. And, and I know that other women love to play with words. And so I, I feel a, a, an essence of positive in the best way again responsibility to express the freedom that I have and the creativity that I have um, because it's like a a line of people are behind me never had the chance to and now I do and it's um Mm. and so it's kind of like let's go like let's let's do this and let's kind of be representative of everyone that wasn't able to do it previously And, and I do think that you know to have the conversation around creativity and horses is such a we're in such a privileged position to be able to have that conversation and so there's a responsibility to embrace the deliciousness and enchantment of life when you're in a position to be able to do so um, because it's not a privilege afforded to everyone. And then that gives us the opportunity to kind of extend care in other ways. Yeah. I'm just going to be a little silent for a minute after that one. Cause that was, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was beautiful. Yeah. <gasps> All right. I'm going to switch gears. Yeah, let's switch gears. Let's, after that beautiful note, let's talk about something anxiety. No. <laughs> I think the best way to do this is to play the question. Um, 
you know, I sent you the question ahead of time, but we'll we'll play it again so it's kind of fresh in, in our ears. Yes. Um, let me see. Hello, Karen. My question is, how do you distinguish anxiety from excitement? And the follow-up question to that is, are there situations when excitement is okay? And if so, how do we make sure it is actually still okay? Because as we all know, everything should come from and return to relaxation. In my specific case, I have a gelding who has a tendency to rush when we turn on grass paths out on trails. Uh, I We can return to relaxation in those moments, but it does take a lot of work and channeling of energy. And if I just let him go, then he, his speed steadily increases. He's a former eventing horse and used to going fast outside. However, we do have a solid foundation in the last four years. We are together now and have been both through the habits of excellent horsemanship course as well as the sweet sport course. And although I have a specific situation where I ask myself the question, I'm mainly interested in would you always try to minimize excitement in favor of relaxation? Or if there are situations where you say excitement is okay and yeah, how you make sure it's excitement and not uh, anxiety. Thanks for listening. Yeah, that's a cool question. question. <laughs> There's a lot in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I can speak to this from a human perspective, and then how, how do you want to how do you want to fire at it? Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd love um, I'd love for you to to take a shot at it. I think she was really, you know, there's the the question in general. What, what's the difference between anxiety and excitement? Can excitement be good? How do we know it's excitement? and not anxiety. And then I think secondary is her specific question with her horse. Um, so mm -hmm. maybe starting with, you know, how do we know the difference? What is the difference between anxiety and excitement? And I think, yeah, I think nervous systems are nervous systems and then we can like shift it to That's the horse, but you can start with whatever pops into your mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I've riffed with this a little bit because it is such an amazing question and I'm going to come at it from an indirect perspective just to give some background information about the general way that I would approach this and the way that I think about emotion generally um, because without that background info, I think it probably won't make sense what I say. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the, the end result we get to, the conclusion that I will lead to, um, I think <laughs> will make sense for horses and humans. Uh, but it's really useful, I believe, to start by defining emotion. Um, and the scientific definition of emotion is just a physiological change in the body. Um, so something changes in the body that we register as being novel, that captures our attention as a result of the situation that we're in. Um, and from a nervous system perspective, what is feeding information into the body and into the brain is sensory nerves or our sensory nerves. So we have sensory information that's coming into us from our environment. And the way that that is expressed is through movement. So it's really like sensory information comes in and a movement response goes out. And a movement response is just some kind of change in the body. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about the nervous system, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems are branches of the autonomic nervous system and they are under the umbrella of the motor system which means that they express as movement your sympathetic system expresses as movement your parasympathetic system expresses as movement so we have the scientific definition of an emotion is just a change in the body something is changing 
And then the psychological definition is where things get really interesting. It's a physiological change followed by a subjective interpretation, which means that essentially our experience of emotion is, is subjective, is individually decided and dependent, depending on the meaning that we attach to it. Um, and when I was contemplating this, <laughs> I had an example come up that I wanted to like double check because I was like, I might be saying something on Karen's podcast that's actually factually incorrect. And then all of these people are going to come back and go, Jane mentioned that thing and it's not a thing. I have um, a staff. I have a whole yeah, team that's yes. going to be fact-checking. So no. fact-checkers, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm going to share the story anyway with the disclaimer that it's actually a philosophical question that can be answered in many different directions. Um, and I'm going to stick with what they currently are playing with as a scientific answer to demonstrate emotions and the difference. So the big philosophical question, which you will have heard before is, um, if a tree falls in the forest with no one around, does it make a sound? And the answer that the scientists like to posit is no, it doesn't make a sound because the experience of sound exists in relationship. We have to make the sound and then something has to be there for us to receive the sound. And so the experience of sensing something exists as part of that duality, as part of that paradigm. Now we can argue this, and this is where, <laughs> where I thought I might be getting myself in trouble from a variety of different philosophical uh, directions as far as perception and everything else goes. But emotion is really similar to this in that emotion exists psychologically as interpretation, which means that our perception of the experience is the experience the emotion doesn't actually exist without our perception of it. And so how you and I would define anxiety um, and excitement would be, one, it would be different because of our individual experiences, but we would also find a lot of similarities and the similarities would exist because we've grown up in a similar cultural context. Um, we've been informed by similar stories, which tells us that this exists in the body, which means it's this. Um, and then we also have the interpretations that you and I would have got in terms of uh, this is a made up scenario, but say your mother was like an ultra marathon runner and your dad was a weightlifter and they felt no fear or pain. Your experience of anxiety and fear would be different from mine if my mother never left the house and had panic attacks on a regular basis. So just what we'd kind of like absorbed there would, would inform our interpretation. Um, and so a question that's really useful to consider is, or two questions, if we're thinking about anxiety and excitement, the first is, how do you know that you're experiencing anxiety? Like what makes you decide that it's anxiety? And similarly, how do you know that you're experiencing excitement? Like what makes you decide that it's excitement? Um, and most of our interpretations relate back to our experience of physical sensation. So we have a physical experience in the body that we define as a certain thing. Um, and the, the problem with that is that sensation is just another indication of change. And so our interpretation is not necessarily accurate. And this is something that I'm working with people all of the time to dissect and kind of decouple the interpretations we're having about something going on in our body um, and the truth of what's going on in our body, which sometimes we don't know. And a vital body is talking to the brain all the time. We're, we're constantly feeling things. And I think that 
as part of our cultural flatlining in the West, certainly, we've developed this idea of neutrality being safe and okay. And anything beyond that starts to get our um, flags raised as far as like, oh, this feels concerning. And so it's also a conversation that relates to how much sensation and how much discomfort you can hold within the edges of your skin will really define the context of your relationship to emotion overall and what you're able to do with it. Um, so then if I group together a series of physical experiences, if I've decided that always this experience in my chest or always this experience in my belly means anxiety, um, pretty soon I tie together the physical experience with the thought and I set up a reflex reaction where if I think this is anxiety, that thought actually sends the tripwire off for the physiology where I'm creating this like cycle of experience that relates to my, my emotion. Um, so within coming back to the question, is this anxiety or is this excitement? My first thought off the back of that, well, obviously not my first, my 20th thought off the back of that, <laughs> my 53rd thought off the back is... Um, <laughs> We need to determine the context that sits outside the label. Like what is the context of this experience and, 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 and what's playing out? And when either of those things, so regardless of when it's anxiety, regardless of whether it's excitement, when either of those experiences takes us out of the ability to be effective in action, it's no longer useful to us. Um, so the thing that I will always wanna know is, well, anxiety is not really good or bad, it just is excitement is not really good or bad it just is but what I want to decide is what is the next action that's available to me what's possible within what's possible here and for as long as I have attention I have the possibility of choice so even if my horse is really animated if I'm able to say are you with me and they're with me they're with me and now we can direct the energy to positive purpose if they're not with me it doesn't really matter what's happening because the first thing that needs to happen is we need to get that connection back. We need to get the focus and the resonance back. And it's the same for us independently, like regardless of whether I experience excitement or anxiety. And you can see this in small children where anxiety, uh, where excitement quickly leads to like a meltdown. <laughs> and it's because they can't hold the level of sensation within their skin and still be able to make a productive decision about where to direct the action next. Mm -hmm. um, so that does that make sense what i'm saying as far as yeah it does it does and there's i mean there's so much in here i love this topic um so one of the things is just <clears throat> are you familiar with kelly mcgonigal i know the name she really did well. a ted talk and it was called um making friends with stress mm -hmm. and she <clears throat> she does she talked about all these uh studies that they did long-term studies and they basically um measured people's stress levels, you know, cortisol and all the different measurements in their um, cardiovascular system. And they measured how, you know, how much stress they were exposed to. And then they asked them a question of how they felt about it. And the biggest predictor of whether 20 years later they were dead or not was not how much stress they had, but what they felt about the stress. It was the meaning that they gave when their heart rate went up and their palms started sweating some people said, oh my God, I'm stressing out. This is bad. And some people thought this is my body preparing itself. Game on. And that that was actually the biggest predictor of death. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they literally like traced it. <laughs> yeah. 
And I mean, I can, so there's, there's that, and I'll, I'll put the link to that in my, in the show notes for this, but Kelly McGonigal, Making Friends with Stress. Um, but, you know, when I think about, I love that you brought it to the practical of like, okay, whether we figure out if it's anxiety or excitement with your, when you're with a horse, the main point is, are you there? You know, are, yeah. <laughs> are you talking to me? I can think of so many examples in my life where I was, whatever this was, the, the physiological change, my heart was pumping, my palms were sweaty. I'm not, I'm kind of on that edge of, I want to move forward, but I kind of want to move back at the same time. I want to move forward towards, I want to move away. And I'm doing something either of my own decision, you know, rock climbing, something, something I'm like, I'm there, I'm on the ledge, you know, but I'm there on, I want to be there. And, mm -hmm. and plenty of times when, if I'm performing, like a little bit of that is helpful. Like if I'm too blase, it's, it's not going to help. So I, I love that you just framed it as it's just, it's stuff that's happening. Yeah. And then what the important part is, is how are we functioning? Can I tell you a little story? about? So I went through a, a few years where uh, my first husband and I, we took ballroom dance lessons. I'm not really the ballroom Enough dance. Not to bring me out in hot sweats, just thinking about it. Yeah, you know, this is like, is you know, this is a... Frontiers. This was a stretch and grow moment. And, uh, and, you know, by nature, I'm much more like the waltz and foxtrot kind of person. I can glide. So, of course, we have an instructor that really likes, like, you know, the rumba and the cha-cha and all <laughs> sexy stuff. Um, yeah, and I we don't did... know if you read the intake instructions. I, I filled in the waltz for, like, my thing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here's a fun fact. My ballroom dance instructor was... Um, um, the psychic medium, John Edwards. Oh, I don't know. That was a curveball that I wasn't. I expecting. know. Yeah. He, 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 anyway, that's a fun fact. Anyway. So we did this one little competition, little ballroom dance competition. Only humans can take something like a dance and go, let's, let's compete. <laughs> anyway. So we had these little routines and I remember I was so nervous and so stressed out and I'm supposed to go in and then my partner spins me once and then we do this other thing. And I went in and he like did the spin and I went and I did like three spins and I thought, Oh shit. I'm like one of those horses, you know, that like goes I'm in and like right lets now. out a couple bucks. And I went <laughs> like, that's what it feels like when the horses are just so excited. They like yeah. they're, they're with you, but they're kind of doing, doing a little yeah. extra stuff. Anyway, it was an experience of mine. I'm like, I just was like one of those horses, those fresh horses. Because <laughs> usually when I'm anxious, I kind of freeze. What was that? They needed to let you go at liberty first, and then you'd be ready to like. I, I needed, I need to be let loose in the round. <laughs> yeah, it, but I remember in the moment thinking that thought of like, oh, I'm like one of those horses. Needs to be yeah. lunch. Anyway. And your partner was thinking we should have let her loose. He's like, I knew we should have let her loose first. <laughs> I'm back. What are you doing? Anyway, uh, yeah. So, so, so where were we? Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think, from a practical point of view, you know, with horses, I, I can hear that she's kind of concerned that she wants her horse to be okay. So when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about okay, anxiety because I don't know if horses give meaning to their emotions or not, but I think horses, you know, to me, the line was, are they wanting to move towards it 
or are they wanting to move away from it? So I, when I think about an, <clears throat> an anxious horse, they're trying to be somewhere else. They're trying to leave the situation to find safety where you can ride a horse that's excited and it feels like they want to do what you're doing. They maybe just want to get there with more energy or a little faster than what you want to do. And, but I, I like what you said. It's like, if, if you, number one, we need to have a connection communication. Otherwise we need to probably not be in that situation somehow get off or, or over a threshold. But, um, but let's say if we are in, we do have some communication. Yeah. It's an interesting place to kind of be like, okay, I'm feeling this up. I can kind of still go. Are there, are there things you can think of, of like to, to guide of like, how do I know this is still okay enough to keep going or thresholds or as I'm trying to think about practical humans. Yeah. I mean, I just remember Forever. having, uh, having a, um, a lesson way back when, when my big, big horse is, he's about 17 too, and he's got a lot of juice in the tank and he was very young at this stage. And, um, he hadn't learned as my teacher said about economizing with his energy. It was just like, Oh, let's go, let's go. And very enthusiastic. And, and one of the things that I realized in the early stages of starting him was because of his size and because of my sort of desire to keep safe. I, I was basically waiting for him to be flatlining before I got on. And, and actually what I wanted was a horse that was expressive of the same pride under saddle that I witnessed him having in the paddock. Um, and so we have to start to, I think, even just observe our horses in their natural skin and the way they go about things to, to really reconcile what vitality looks like in a horse and, and excitement is like a, it's a lovely quality. We don't want to shut that down, but of course we want to temper it with the necessity for it not to go somewhere where the energy mutates into something non-functional or non-useful to us. Um, and so in that experience, and, and again, this is a very basic thing that really helped me. I was like, okay, you can choose the pace, but I'm going to choose the direction. Um, and just that simple idea of like, we're safe right now. Like if I wasn't safe, I would probably have got off, to be honest, if I, yeah. if I thought that there wasn't enough something I could do in the saddle. But but you you go for, for, go for gold, but we're going to go this way and we're going to go this way and we're going to go this way and, and sort of started to add some um, interest into the experience. Um, and the other little point that I worked with there, which is something, I mean, you're so much more skilled in this than me, but just these little helpful things, which was to consider not not doing the thing or not not being interested in the thing as much as asking and what about this and could we do a little bit of shoulder in and what about this rather than it being like a war of like not that um and it just helps again i just think in the in the experience of excitement if you think of it from an energetic perspective it's a container with a fast level of vibration and just stopping the vibration doesn't stop the energy. You know, the energy is now in there somewhere else. So it's like, how do we use that energy in a way that's useful? I mean, that that's what I think of from a horse perspective anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, if there's enough communication, then we can, again, whether it's excitement or anxiety, we can play with it and, you know, little impulsion programs and, and mm -hmm. things like that. Like, yeah, you can go that fast, but we're going to make more turns, you know, mm -hmm. if you do that and things that can, you know, then it's just, it's like, it's a training problem. If we have enough communication that we can train and we, we think, okay, I can 
handle this, then we can do it. If you don't think you can handle it, I think it's probably a good idea to yeah, be somewhere absolutely. else doing something else. Yeah. But I think the, um, that moment where, you know, whatever the horse is feeling, there's stuff happening. And then that's where we have to really manage our own emotions because, you know, one person's great big trot could be um, exciting. And another person on the same trot could be, that could be really anxiety um, inducing. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess. Um, also just thinking like from a, from a nervous system perspective, um, the more sensory information the brain has, the more adaptive the decisions it makes. So basically um, if you think of that in very simplistic terms, when I have, um, when I'm out of my fight flight system, my sensory system is taking in lots of information, which means my brain is able to accurately place me in my environment in, in the situation. And so then I make accurate interpretations about what's going on because I have good feedback about how to respond and how to behave. When I get into my sympathetic system, and this is true for horses and humans, the, the sensory dial starts to get turned down like a volume knob. Um, and the reason for that is sensory feedback isn't our primary interest when we're in a survival situation. We want to, to actually narrow our sensory feedback so we can hone in on what we see to be the thing that's concerning us and, um, and make a decision on how to respond based on that. The problem becomes when either horses or humans are no longer adaptable and they're not moving in and out of these states in a fluid way. And so then you have a horse or a human that is in more of a fight-flight response than not, um, and they're not getting accurate information about their environment because their sensory information has become limited. And so then they start to behave reflexively on these like pre-patterned programs that humans and horses do. So from a horse perspective, one of the things I'm really interested in, and obviously you're, you're always trying to start with not putting yourself in a position where it's you're really throwing either of you in the deep end so you know we have yeah. the one-off yeah. situations but i think everyone knows what we're talking about when i say that yeah. um and then I, i've been really interested in observing my horse's primary senses um what they use as a means of when they're feeling um good about life and where they go when they're not feeling good about life and elsa sinclair is really interesting to study with this as well but for instance, my paint horse, Merck, when he's feeling um, really in tune and good about life, he's a very, um, a very smell-oriented horse. He will sniff a lot of things. He will sniff around the arena. He will sniff the ground. And I know that I can use the smell sense to bring him back to an extent, like I can sort of stimulate that a little bit to bring him back. And I know that if he spends too long in an outward gaze that gets it's really fixated that that tends to take him into a, um, a an unhelpful place because he can't bring himself back to his body easily from that sense. And so the training then becomes like, how do I just gradually like interrupt this process that you're having with either some kind of tactile support or some kind of sensory support in some way that says, hey, hey, like, and it's not that I'm looking to create an outcome from that. I'm looking to be a part of your experience, which is a different a different uh, thought process. It's like, can you include me in here? So we have some kind of partnership going on. Even if you're worried about that, could we be, could you be worried about it with me rather than without me? And that gives you a, a little sort of inroad to, um, to start to direct things over time. Um, so yeah, that, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, that's really cool. So when you, so what, what does that look like practically? Is it just that to see that your horse, like, oh, hi, yeah, I see you're still here, Jane. Is it just like an acknowledgement of you versus not? Yeah. So I'll give you an example of um, Merck, for instance, he is a horse that his dominant mode that he goes to when he's upset is a fight mode. Um, and it doesn't mean that he will full on like have a go with me. It's not that fight is about needing to control your environment. And so he tries to control me with his body. He tries to like maneuver me around with his body when he gets worried about something. And so I will give him, if I can understand the underlying reason that he's doing that, it's insecurity. He's wanting to control things. He's not, I can be like, actually, I can give you that. Like I can put my hand on your shoulder. I can, I can lay hands on you. We can work a lot with tactile feedback here as we're moving around, but you don't need to request it of me in that way. Like I can, I can absolutely fulfill that need. Um, and so that's sort of an example of like learning to figure out the conversation that your horse has dominantly when they're in concern and when they're out of it and seeing how you can fulfill the need, but bring yourself into it so that you're part of how the flow of energy moves rather than being manipulated by the flow of energy in a way that feels kind of yucky and gross. Um, yeah, that's one thing I think about quite a lot. It's like, what is their dominant place that they go to? And you do have the flight horses, you do have the, the fight horses. And it's like, how can we support the need and kind of like direct the conversation from that place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to think a little bit to to see how that would look. Yeah, Definitely. yeah, it's it's playful as well. That's where the creativity comes in, right? Because yeah. from a human perspective, we can, I can direct. I can say to someone, "You need to direct your thoughts here. This is what you need to focus on." Mm -hmm. For a horse, it's there's no chance of interrupting a pattern without their attention. There's no chance of it because everything is automated when they don't have their attention. So it's always a constant curiosity quest to. How do I get your attention back, regardless of how I'm seeing this play out? Um, how do I get your attention back in a way that doesn't add to the energy and take it in in an unhelpful direction? Um, and that's, yeah, something that I'm always playing with. But yeah. From a human perspective, I love movement patterns and understanding the movement patterns um, and balance lines at basic gates to kind of give your brain something to focus on. Um, mm. So that's where I tend to head with with people. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now 
back to the pod. You know, the, the moment where the horse's attention is gone and they're, they're kind of in, you know, like a not communicative mode, like the, the training's not going to work necessarily because they're in this mm -hmm. other state. And I think to be really conscious of in that state, the normal stuff isn't going to work. And I think that's, you know, when, when you try to ask them a question that you know that they know the answer to, but in that state, they're not going to be able to answer it. And then if, if the only thing you have is escalation, now you're adding to the, you know, to, you're adding fuel to that state. And so, yeah, I think it's a really good thing to notice of, I always think, is my horse communicative or not? And if they're not, I'm going to play with it much differently. Yeah. And and like you said, my, my first thing is, can I be impossible to ignore or can I be doing something that you're going to end up noticing, but that can look really different on different horses. Some, some all mm -hmm. like just run around like, Wee! and they're like, mm -hmm. oh, hello, who are you? And another horse, I might just go sit, sit in the arena and like pluck at weeds or something until they're like, well, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> kind of depending yeah, on the horse or, or set up a little you know, an obstacle or something that they, they are familiar with. And it just kind of brings them back. So, um, two, two things. Um, I think from the question, she seemed to emphasize you know, a statement that I say a lot is everything comes from and returns to relaxation and, and her concern for is, is excitement ever okay? Like I, something that, um, with, students. And I mean, I'm big on relaxation and I think it's really important, but sometimes there's a misunderstanding that like relaxation means, like you said, neutral, like yeah. no. Yeah. And I yeah. see like this a lot where people are like, oh, my horse got, you know, a little energetic or something. And then that's not okay. But there's this, especially for performance or if we want brilliance or just in freedom of movement, that there is like this range of stuff that's okay. And and I think relaxation is such an interesting topic because it's not lack of energy. It's a completely different subject. And and how energy and relaxation interact to create things like power. Um, you know, I I am aware of the play between them. I think I feel it, but I'm I'm just curious if you have any more sophisticated words around around the the play of energy with relaxation and not just being the flat line i think that true relaxation is the presence of a really free life force that you then have choice to direct in whichever way you feel appropriate for the moment and it's available energy potential that is able to be influenced by your conscious decision like where how do I want this to go where do I want to put my body how do I want to direct my focus and my energy and attention and it's like you say it's um it's it's the opposite of neutrality it's the opposite of staticness it's actually the purest manifestation of aliveness right because if something is relaxed it's fully open like everything is able to flow in all directions there's no one part of the tube or structure that's impeded that's holding the energy in a particular place it's like it's the expression of the full cycle where like you can see the arc of the horse in this rhythmic cyclic motion that's that's what we understand to be the aesthetic of beauty right like that's when you see a body in motion that's free and where life force and vibration is able to move through that's 
what we understand as re relaxation, that it can involve a huge amount of strength, a huge amount of propulsion, a huge amount of energy within, within that space. And what's interesting to think about as well is if we think about it from a nervous system perspective, um, I think a lot of people think that sympathetic energy or fight-flight energy is uh, really like a lot and parasympathetic energy is very not a lot and it's actually the opposite like sympathetic energy is reactive energy that is uh, designed around a survival purpose and the outside of the body is working really hard to get the body to be propelled in a particular direction but in the parasympathetic system the internal systems of the body are super vibrant and alive and blood is flowing and everything's vibrating and everything's communicating um it's just that it's an internal to out to external process rather than an external to internal process so your vitality your movement potential your energy potential is actually a lot in parasympathetic it's like a it's 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 very vibrant um and if we think about I guess the if we think about it tangibly from the expression of fascia, everything in the body is um, surrounded by fascia. Basically, and so you know we have the fascial trains which are responsible for movement initiation. Um, we have the fascial bands which are what keeps everything sort of supported from the inside out. And fascia has something um, called a, an essential tremor, which is its base vibrational tone um, that allows for the communication of neural information. It allows for the communication of, um, of energy or muscular information of like everything, fluid information, everything to move through the body. And in the sympathetic system, fascia dehydrates to bring all of the bony surfaces together. So we have more um, surfaces to power and accelerate off. But in the sympathetic system, it's um, what we would call hydrated. And so it's all sliding, it's all free. And I think to me that when fascia, what we understand again as the aesthetic of something beautiful, what we're seeing is actually the free movement of vibration and the free movement of energy through the body, which is equals relaxation to me. Um, I love that. And the, the, the thing about adults especially, I don't think – children necessarily have this definition but because we start to be quite static in our experience we don't have much experience of novelty over the course of the day um you know a lot of adults if you ask them what they do from monday to friday will be able to tell you their movement range in a pretty predictable fashion um, with a very few exceptions and so then we have a horse that is in our experience and there's a huge amount of sensory information that comes from a horse so of course we feel different um, and, and that provokes a reaction in our body, which is just the expression of novelty basically. So why I say that story, which seems really irrelevant is because without constant experiences of novelty and being able to change our energetic dial, we start to develop very fixed ideas about certain states of being and relaxation is one of them. Um, whereas like, you know, you and me, I consider us quite playful people. Like we, we might be socially a little bit awkward sometimes, but we can, well, I'll speak for myself there, but I can, I can jump around and still feel relaxed. You know, like I can be talking to you and my mouth's going at a million miles an hour, but I still feel relaxed. Like I still feel good about things. Um, and I know that if I was in other company and talking the way that I do, when I get passionate about something, someone might like go to me, calm down, Jane, like, Christ, let's just tone it down, like relax. And I'll be like, but I am relaxed. Like it's, I'm, yeah. 
but it's just that gradient of like energetic exposure or output and how we define it. So again, I guess it's subjective. It's a long-winded explanation. No, no I, I, I love it. I love it. I mean, relaxation is, it's a, it's a deep topic, you know, yeah. and, uh, but I love that because, you know, the relaxation is this free moving life force. Um, because I could, I know when I get really nervous, like I, I freeze up, <laughs> you know, that's sitting still is not necessarily, uh, yeah, relaxed. And so you were saying about like the novelty of the movement and, you know, our horses who we're trying to get them all free and yummy and moving. And then if we haven't moved a whole lot in our day or week, we get on the horse and it can be so easy to, you know, they move, it's subjective, you know, one person will say, oh my God, my horse is trying to buck me off. And the other one's like, oh, he feels so fabulous today. Right. Yeah. So we, we have to, as humans, you know, if we feel, okay, something's feeling funny, I'm feeling this stuff going on. How do I feel about this? There's going to be situations where we go, you know, I need to get off. Like, I don't think I can personally handle this. And, and, if that's true for anybody, they need to honor that. Like whatever yeah. the horse is doing, oh my God, he's walking too fast. I can't handle it. Good. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, but I think we all as horse people can relate to the feeling of I'm feeling nervous. I think I can handle this, but I'm feeling nervous. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we've all kind of come up with our hopefully ways of handling that moment. Do you have any um, thoughts of or things that can help people if you're in that level of like, say there's some excitement coming up from our horse, we're starting to feel, uh oh, this feels like anxious. I'm not sure I want to be here, but I think I can handle it. That edge, right? Where mm -hmm. I think we could stay on and deal with it, but how do we, how do we keep it feeling positive and responsive and not crossing over into like something that's going to head in the, a, a bad yeah, direction? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one thing I'm all, I'm always disappointing uh, people by telling them to do <laughs> is to uh, that you actually have to let yourself have the experience. Like sometimes you have to let yourself go through the experience in order to become masterful or skilled at the thing you're trying to do. There's kind of no way around it, and it doesn't mean that you don't get to gradiate what that looks like or stop on one day and start on the next, but there is a moment where we have to allow ourselves to learn by being in the situation. Um, and I add a huge disclaimer in that because always when we're talking about horses, it's different to riding a bike. Um, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're safe. So that's kind of the prerequisite that we're, that I'm always putting out there. Yeah. Um, but letting yourself have the experience is really important and being able to actually like ask yourself really good questions in the moment is useful as far as like, okay, uh, you know, the horse, big horse um, D that I was talking about before that when, when I started him, um, I, I started to be able to discern what was his and what was mine, which was actually we've done this before and I got off before and I felt kind of disappointed because he was actually okay. So we're going to keep going through it this time because I recognize that my body is just, you know, my, the, my cellular makeup needs to expand in order to match the energy that he's producing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So the ways that I go about it are kind of specific, I guess. Um, I teach something called movement arcs. And basically there are certain movement pathways that the body, that the horse's body follows um, as far as their um, centerline movement, which is like a fascial train underneath, that their centerline, ways that their centerline moves in the basic gates and in all gates. But there's ways they move in walk, ways they move in trot and ways they move in canter. And to keep this sort of principally based so I don't confuse people, your brain's always looking for something functional to work with. And when we get really stuck in our heads, we become dysfunctional as far as we're no longer utilising the powers of our body for productive purpose. We're kind of in an overthinking cycle. So the more practical you can become, the more focused on practical outcomes and practical being, I can do this thing and I can observe the result, the faster you will be able to move through the experience of discomfort. Um, and I, like I said, I do that in ways of actually like teaching people movement patterns to like focus in on, but it can mm -hmm. be as simple as, I mean, I know you teach those beautiful questions of like, you know, are you with me? Where are we going? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a directive to a, a functional productive outcome. Um, and I think that the more we can train our, ourselves to, to, make decisions based on action sooner rather than later. Uh, we get real information that we can work with that then tells us, well, that worked or that didn't work, or he is with me or he isn't, which then allows me to make the next decision um, rather than getting stuck in our heads for too long and, uh, and that just kind of becoming its own beast. Um, mm -hmm. One other thing I'll add that, I, that relates to the conversation we had a little bit earlier as well when our horses were getting upset is um, emotion as a physiology lasts about 90 seconds in the body. It really doesn't last that long. It transforms quite quickly. But as humans, what we're not very good at doing is actually letting ourselves be different or letting ourselves be new from moment to moment. We hang on to an experience and the whole ride becomes that wasn't a good ride when actually there are loads of different components that formed a half an hour ride or that, and they weren't necessarily all like that. Um, and so the sympathetic brain looks for sameness and the parasympathetic brain looks for difference. So if you can be like, you know, like a lap ago of the arena, I was feeling like that, but that's the past version of me now. I don't have to carry that forward. Um, if we continue to stay stuck in an identity or a story, it's becoming a choice of the brain to carry forward an emotion that doesn't actually exist anymore. Um, and so if I think of it like that, sooner I can get myself into a productive focus the sooner I can let myself be new and let my horse be new and think about what is actually happening now, like what not, not what they did a minute ago or 30 seconds ago, like who are they now? Mm -hmm. Your brain and your horse's brain want to be harmonious. You and your horse, like you, you both are seeking out harmony actually if you'd only let it happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think if we can think of that as the overriding principle that both of you are seeking harmony, what is the next best movement towards that from this place that's action-based? Um, and am I letting that happen or am I arguing against myself? Mm -hmm. um, which we're really good at sometimes as humans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I love all that. And, you know, the I think about deep and shallow and you talked about moving through it. And I, I use that analogy of like, okay, we want to start in the shallow end, but we got to practice going out a little deeper and coming home and going out a little deeper and coming home. And the more we practice knowing that we can go out, we come back and go out yeah. and come back. But if you don't ever practice that, then everything's going to feel like you're jumping in the deep end of the pool and you don't know if you can get back. So 
Yeah. And, and I, I love the, um, yeah, I, I, I've made the distinction of like for myself or a student, if they're getting scared instead of them saying, well, first of all, I, I want them to say I'm scared if they're scared, like say it out loud, but I'll tweak it. And, and I'll say to say, I'm feeling scared instead of I am scared. And somehow just that, you know, it's kind of implied like, well, I'm feeling scared now, but then when you can check in again, you haven't become scared. You just were feeling that over there. Now, how are you feeling? Oh, now I'm feeling this other thing. And to stay in that present moment and, and yeah, the three questions, like if, if a student's feeling anxious, like, well, what, what would you need to know is working in order to feel safer? I need to know I can turn. I need to know I can stop. I need to know. So we just, yeah, we practice those and it connects to what you were saying. Like, is it, do we have a functional connection? So just proving that. And I think it's so easy. What you said is we, we go, "Uh Oh, I'm scared. We don't really express it. So it stays in there. And now it's a label and a story. And we're just going the whole ride going, oh my God, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. (laughs) And yeah, I think that ability to stay present in the moment to the, this moment and this moment and this moment um, is so crucial. And that's where I'll I'll like narrate, I'll have uh, people narrate, or I do it myself. I mean, everything comes from my own, you know, riding the big, fancy, warm bloods, three-year-olds that, you know, have very little control. And I'd be like, and I'm going on the short side and I'm going across yes. the downhill. And I'm, I, I, I'm just I narrating. area for a reason like that, yeah. because I'm like, and here we go. And a little bit yeah. over here. And I'm going to sing a little song, <laughs> even though I can't sing. But it's like, you know, it's a good technique for when I'm on that edge. Because like, I'm instead of going, <gasps> Yeah, you know, waiting for another shoe to drop. It keeps me talking. I can hear my own voice. I can hear my tone of voice. I'm like, oh, Karen, you're currently freaking out here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Or I can sing a little song and uh, yeah, stay. I think staying with a, a functional <laughs> nervous system. Yeah, the, the, it's really interesting to me how, you know, there's that old adage. Well, maybe it's not old in some bonds, but um, a like leaving your emotions at the gate and and to me it's such a dysfunctional way of going about things because we're changing all of the time and how we are there's nothing fixed so if you do arrive at the gate in a certain fashion in five seconds time you're going to be different so you don't have to leave anything at the gate you just have to allow yourself to be different as you go through the process of actually taking the next best step in front of you um the irish language has a beautiful way of describing emotions and they describe the person who's going through the experience is wearing the emotion. So it would be, oh, Karen's wearing anger right now, or Karen's wearing sadness, or she's wearing fear, which implies the ability to be able to take it off, to unwear it. And so I I think that's very beautiful. I now think of emotions kind of as, as cloaks that I'm being visited by the cloak of this right now, but I also can take it off at some point. It's not an intrinsic part of who I am. Yeah. I love that. All right, Jane, where can people find out more about you and um, some of the amazing things that you offer? Thank you. So for the horsey side of things, the horsey (laughs) side of things, my website, uh, confidentrider.online is the place to go. And I've got got my podcast there as well, Confident Rider Podcast, um, and my membership program is there as well. And if you're interested in the more creative side of things um i have a substack page with non-horsey writing on there which is janepike.substack.com and you can find out all the little bits and pieces there 
or the peripheral edges. <laughs> the peripheral edges. Awesome. Thank you so much. My yes, brain is so kind welcome. of full. Although I could talk to you forever, my brain is feeling like that's a really nice place to stop it for now. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. Well, you have the fullest of most excellentest brains, so pleased <laughs> to be in your company. Does that mean you'll come back on my podcast again oh my if I find any another time? Awesome, awesome. I'm thank you again, and I look forward to the next time. Yes, thank you so much. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.